we're just going to read. I'm going to read from a, a couple of different portions here. And then we can uh, see what God has for us this morning. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to be reading from, from Acts, the 17th chapter. And then I'm going to go to Ephesians, the second chapter. And I'll just read this. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Uh, many different kinds of translations, but we're very thankful to God for that we can have the ability, and if we don't, God can use others to give us, to give us the ability to understand the original languages. And uh, But anyway, here we are at Acts, the 17th chapter, start in verse 16. It's Paul is at Athens here in Greece, and this is where worldly, the enemy chose worldly philosophy to always challenge and oppose the reality of Christ, his person, and his word. Uh, that's by thus becoming the enemy of God. So Paul is here at the center of all this Greek, and or, it was a mixture of Greek philosophy and Oriental mysticism that was going on here. So here we are, Paul at Athens, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols, full of idols. And so he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, the, the uh, other nations of the world, and in the marketplace every day were those who happened to be present. He went there. Teaching and preaching the word. Listen, every day. Every day. This brings in the reality of the charge in 2 Timothy 4.1 and to, to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, to rebuke, to, re, to exhort with all long suffering and an amazing amount of teaching. And so this is what he was doing. In verse 18, and also some of the, the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers notice these were named after men who satan used to bring in all these different philosophies here these philosophies were uh, these stoic these epicurean and stoic philosophers were conversing with him some were saying what will this idle know nothing babbler going to try and give us today trying to put upon us today. Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Strange. It was strange to hear about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They considered it to be strange deities. To this day, there's multitudes still functioning in this satanic uh, worldly system. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. They had an interest. They started to get an interest. Well, you are bringing some strange, foreign things to our ears, things we've never heard before. Do we want to know what these things mean? Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time, notice, in nothing. Meaning they weren't involved with God who was love 
And without love, in 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3, what does it profit me? Where is it their profit? It's only in God. God is love. You see that very clearly. They spent their time in nothing. And this is John 6, 63 and Romans 7, 18. Jesus said, what did he say? He said in John 6, 63, it is the Holy Spirit that imparts life, imputes it and imparts it. And this is brought out in John 16, 8 to 13. The flesh profits nothing. Notice the flesh, the unsaved that function in the flesh, it profits nothing. Christians who go back to the flesh, this is the whole book of Hebrews, Christians that go back to the rule of the flesh and to say it profits us what? Nothing. Many don't go forward in the Word of God because they're not taught on a continual basis the Word of God. So they live in memories. They want to share memories with us. Yes, it was a great work. Yes, God did something. But it's memories. Constant memories. But nothing that's going to continue to feed them with any substance of Christ. See that in Hebrews 11 and verse 1. And so here they said that they spent their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. From who? That old dragon, that old serpent, Satan. The same lie, but brought out to be like something to be new. And so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, there it is, and said, men of Athens, I observe, I'm observing. You see, this is what Ezekiel did in Ezekiel 3, 1 to 15. He sat where they sat. This is what Paul, Holy Spirit was teaching Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19 to 22, to sit with men, not under the law of the enemy while he sits, free from the law of sin and death because of Christ, but still being there with them. Being there with them, not participating in what they were participating in, but being with them and seeking an opportunity for Christ to manifest himself through them as his vessel in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. And so, he said, I observe you are very religious. You are very religious in all aspects. You know what it is? It's religious. And what does religion make man? Very superstitious. Really, the word is superstitious. You see? You see that? It's superstitious. You're going to be suspect about God, yourself, or others with religion. True spirituality is brought out in James, the first chapter, verses 19, right to verse 27. King James says religion. It doesn't say that in the original. It's spiritual realities. You'll see that in James 1 and verse 27. And so he said, in all respects, in all respects, your life is one of suspicion. Why? Is there any suspicion in God's love? None. Sooner or later, when we're suspicious, what is it, what will lead to, it will lead to being irritated about something. Is there any irritation in grace? No. That's why love without suspicion flows really through it. And Jesus didn't commit himself to those that he was with constantly in John, the second chapter, in verses uh, 24 and 25. He never did. 
but he sat with them. That's why it's beautiful. And, and all through the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the common people, the common people, the little people, heard him gladly. They heard him gladly. So he said in verse 23, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown gods. You see, when you don't know God, when I don't know, well, we don't function experientially in Christ. We form, the enemy forms in our experience some form of suspicion that causes irritation every single time. Every single time we see that. I found that. It was an altar, a place where you worship to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, you see, if you, can, if you don't go forward, if you're not taught, if you try to choose to do it yourself, all you can do is go back to past memories. Past memories. But you don't go forward. You can only go back, you see. And I can only go back. And I, any of us would in the flesh. We can't go back positionally and never will. Thank God, sin doesn't even touch our position, our relationship, our family relationship in Christ and, and with God as our Father in John 20 and verse 17. But the fact of the matter is, it can affect our experiential fellowship, exchange of a life. The only thing that God uh, knows us in is Jesus Christ. So in, in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. So the basis of God's fellowship with us is Jesus Christ. That's who he's giving us. Do we receive it? And have it back and give it back. And that's called fellowship. And fellowship is that Greek word kinonia. And that's K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Kinonia. And it means the setting aside of personal interests, private personal desires for the benefit of the whole. Meaning you don't live your Christian life for yourself. It's called the abundant life in John 10, 10b. You live it to Christ, and what it is, it's always about others, and you lose yourself in the humility of God's love that flows through grace, and that's who he gives it to. And humility is never thinking too highly of myself or thinking too lowly of myself. It's not thinking of myself at all. It's always being available to have fellowship in Christ, to have fellowship in Christ. And it's, it's amazing what the enemy tries to convince Christians of what fellowship is. It's an exchange of a life of Christ in each vessel. That's what it is. And so, for any of us. So, therefore, what you worship, he said in Acts 17, 23, he said, you worship in ignorance. But this I pro proclaim to you. How many want to hear that? No wonder he has to humble us. No wonder everything about God's plan is to humble us in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. And in James chapter 4, 6 through 10, no wonder he has to humble us. He has to humble us. Why? Because the unsaved, do you think they want to hear that? A Christian that constantly lives in the flesh, do you think they want to hear truth? None of us will in the flesh. None of us will. No, we become private interpreters in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. We interpret the word of God through a fleshly will that's not submitted. What do we miss? Christ dawning in us and leading us on 
through the world system. You see, Christians, he's leading us through the world system. We're not settling down in it. Everything about us is different than the world. God put a difference between Egypt and Israel in Exodus 11 and verse 7. Who's on the Lord's side? In 1 Kings 18 and verse 21. Who's on the Lord's side? You know, Joshua 24 and verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve, meaning we will worship the Lord. And he puts a difference. You ever wonder why you can't fellowship with, with Christians sometimes? You ever wonder why you and I might not be able to in our own personal life? Because God's dealing with an area of the flesh that's not willing, not willing to receive who Christ is and what he's accomplished on their personal behalf and on their personal benefit, the benefits of grace. Well, he said in verse 24 of Acts 17, the God who, the God who made the world and all things in it, yeah, the earth is the Lord's, the earth is the Lord's, no matter what you see and what I see going on here and prophecy being fulfilled right in our midst. And Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and all those that are in it, meaning all will give him an answer. And hopefully, the one answer that all of us will have in terms of salvation will be Christ. Because otherwise, if he's not the answer, then all will appear. The dead will be taken out of hell in the holding cell, and that's what hell is, a holding cell, until they're delivered into the lake of fire. And we see this in Revelation 20, uh, 11 to 15. This is what makes uh, the fact and our opportunity to not only receive the things of Christ, but in some form to act really and truthfully as an evangelist, telling people, giving them the gospel truth, causing people to face reality. Sometimes we hold back because we feel like we don't want to offend them, like maybe they're not ready. The time is very short in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 29. And you see it here. And you see it. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord. Notice this. You don't make him Lord. This does away with a false teaching of lordship salvation, thinking you have to do something because of what God did through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Lord of heaven. He's Lord. Long before he came, he was Lord. Long before he put on humanity, he was Lord. He was Lord of heaven and earth. Does not dwell in temples made with hands. Oh boy, this is why we have this teaching that we are the church in Matthew 16 and verse 18. Church is not a building, never has been, never will be ever some worship their buildings the way they look the way they're furnished no not it's not made with hands nor is he served or worshiped by human hands the flesh no as though he needed anything the enemy convinces listen god is less than who he is he needs your help he needs your help no he doesn't that's what it says here as though he needed anything. Jesus did not come to be ministered unto. Matthew 20, 28, Mark, and, and Mark 10, verse 45. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give, notice, love through grace, give his life as a ransom, payment, 
for many. For many. Not all, unfortunately, but many. Many. Matthew 20 and verse 16, 22 and verse 14, many are called, but few are chosen, meaning few have chosen. He's not willing that any should, should perish, not any man. We see that in Ezekiel 18 and verse 23. We see it in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. He's not willing that any perish. He's not willing that the sinner should die prior to receiving Jesus Christ. Again, that's, that's brought out. For the preponderance of scriptures, but it's brought out very clearly in Ezekiel 18, verse 23. He doesn't need anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath in all things. And he made from one, Adam, many, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times. You see, there's a predetermined amount of time that's been that God has determined with the with our will how how far we live he's predetermined that meaning he knows he knows but he knows those that are going to choose his son he's known it from eternity but he never bypassed their will he gave them a will so that with their will they could receive his will which would be Jesus Christ in John 4 and verse 34 he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth in Revelations 13 and verse 8. And the works were finished before the foundation of the earth was ever even created. But this is where this is all being brought out in time. And that's why God created time. He created time for himself, to the eternal God, to be glorified so that he would be known. And the only way he could be was through Jesus Christ, his son. There's no other way. We see that in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. There's one mediator between God and men. It is the man Christ Jesus. There's no other name in Acts 4 and verse 12. Given among, given among men in, or in heaven or in earth, whereby men must be saved. And that's Jesus Christ. Him and him alone. There's no other way. There's no other answer. None whatsoever. All you will live in is in, in the world system. And and in all kinds of philosophy, and what a lie that is, isn't it? Even the word philosophy, Phil, Philly, Philio, Philio, and sophist, wisdom, the supposed love of wisdom, oh, and 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 the satanic lie. Uh, in Second Corinthians eleven verse fourteen, he's an angel of light. He's an angel of light. That's who he is. He's a liar. And if the light that be in multitudes in terms of salvation or even in bad teaching of those that are, if the light that be in you in Matthew 6 and verse 23 be darkness, how great is that darkness? There's an overexposure. You know what happens when there's an overexposure of light? It's so much, you get darkened. And this is Second Corinthians 11 and verse 14. It's the overexposure of, of intense lies from the enemy. In John 8 and verse 44, he's the father of all lies. He tells a Christian, he tells believers, listen, you know, you need something other than Christ for you to handle things in life. And guess what? If it's not Christ, you go back to the lust of the flesh and the lust of your father you will do, fathering your, not your position, but your experience. In John 8 and verse 44. Well, 
he made from one man, and he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Why? And he gave everyone this opportunity that could function in their will, reach the age of accountability. Why? That they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. You know, don't you want Christ in you to be found by others? You'll see this, and I, I will see it with you in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, our sufficiency is Christ. Who, are, who else is sufficient for these things? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, but Jesus Christ himself. He's our sufficiency. Boy, we need to learn that in total dependence and humility. We'll slide right back into all kinds of lust patterns. And God forbids, and, and the cross is, is the reality of God forbidding that in Galatians 6 and verse 14. Well, that they would seek after him. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him. Listen, and this is what I was experiencing in my broken heart uh, in this way. Yesterday, when I was with loved ones. How far they are from him. And how close he is to them. How far they are from him in terms of salvation. And then others maybe that we spent time with. How far they are. Not in position, but experience. How far? Though he's so near them. So near. And that's what I saw this uh, yesterday morning and God was bringing into my experience this morning. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him, us in Christ, and oh, thank God, you know, thanksgiving. No wonder we can be thankful for all things in Ephesians 5.20. No wonder we can be thankful in all things in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. But before we get to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, being thankful, we need to be praying at all times in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And what is prayer? Do we pray all the time? What is prayer teaching? Dependence. It's always teaching dependence. Constantly. Otherwise, we forget and go right back into the lust of the flesh. Then what do we do when we do that? When we live in that fallen nature experientially, we begin to justify ourselves with deception. And if it's not that, it's stubborn pride. No, I like this certain music. No one can convince me otherwise. Fine. 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 But the music of God, his music, his tone, his beat, his, will bring you into a place where you absolutely never think too highly of yourself or lowly of yourself. You're thinking of God, meaning you're in a constant place of receiving. And when you and I live in a constant place of receiving, then God can use us constantly to give his son to others through us, even if it's nonverbal. And I sensed that yesterday. There weren't words that were being said, but I sensed opposition and I sensed resistance. And I know the persons or the person didn't even know why they were doing it. They were just doing it. Because, not because of the vessel, but because of the treasure that's in the vessel. You see, we give off a nonverbal. 
we give off nonverbal communication, meaning we don't enter into a frivolity or foolishness of the flesh in conversation and chattering. We'll see that very soon. And when you don't give countenance to it, then their countenance, God, God will use that for them to testify against themselves in the conscience. See this in, a, in Ephesians 3 and verse 8 and 9, and you see how that conscience works in Romans 2 and verses 14 and 15, even if they don't have the word. They can get their conscience to be pricked. And hopefully that word, ice, the word, ice, E-I-S, the word will enter into them and give them an opportunity, you see. So even with verbal or nonverbal communication can be very effective. You just need to know when. In wisdom, wisdom is knowing when, where, and how to appropriate the knowledge and truth of Jesus Christ, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. And there are times when it should be nonverbal, but there are a lot of times when it should be very verbal, but spoken in love in, he, in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, so that they can grow up in Christ. For in him we live. Oh boy, he's our life in Colossians 3, 4. And we move. You notice that? If his life isn't moving us, should we? and exist we have our very existence as even some of your own poets and he's quoting i believe it's psalm 82 and verse 6 for we are also his children or guides and so forth we are his children where we're in that sense uh the offspring will see this being there being then the children of god who are the children of god everyone are all human beings the children of god well, John 8, verse 44 says, no, you're of your father, the devil. No, but us, being then children of God, we, Christians, ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, precious things, that somehow this can give us pleasure to use to replace him. No. An image, notice this, an image, a false lie to replace Christ in your experience. Formed by the art, <laughs> you see, and thought of man, man under Satan. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, passing by, this is Micah 7, 18 and 19. But there is, there's a time when God has commanded man everywhere every single place to repent and change their mind. There's a time when God will call those because he knows their predetermined time and how much time they have to make a proper decision in terms of salvation and even, unfortunately, in teaching of the word of God. Many don't want to be, uh, don't want God's choice for others to teach them. So they will miss that because of a lack of humility. You'll, you'll miss it. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples and teaching those that were around in John the 12th chapter and verses 35 and 36. You, a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have it. Keep choosing it. Make the right choices. That's why God puts us around others. And so we see this here. 
It's either Christ or some kind of image by the art and thought of man. I mean, if it's not God's thought, Jesus Christ, then who are this thought is it? This is 2 Corinthians 10.4. Listen, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. No. Getting in battles with lies and thoughts and refusing truth. No, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. They're the pulling down of strongholds, settle the areas of pride, stubborn pride, rebellion and idolatry, pride and stubbornness. This is brought out in 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. But there'll be systems that will teach you that you can bypass those areas and still give something to God in 1 Samuel 15, and verse 22. God is not interested in people's sacrifice. Now, that's why it says in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, if you got, you can even give all your goods to the poor and give your body to be burned. If you have not loved Jesus Christ, I profit you what? Nothing. Nothing. No thing. Nothing. No thing can replace Christ. What is in my life as a Christian today, this morning, that God wants to get out and replace it with Christ? This is Hebrews 4 and verse 12. A separating, sanctifying process brought out in John the 17th chapter, in the 17th verse. And this is the reason Jesus even sanctified himself in John 17 and verse 19. He, he did for us to have a place for that to happen. He is our sanctification too, by the way. That makes it clear in John the 17th chapter. And you'll see it, how it leads to our sanctification is leading to us an eternal glory with Christ in us in Colossians 1 and verse 27, that not only he gave us his glory, he gave us glory in terms of his being the son of man in John 17 and verse 22, but also in John 17 and verse 24, he's going to show us the glory of who he is in, in the son of man as the very son of God himself. This is brought out again in those 26 verses of John 17. There's a time when God overlooks the times of ignorance. But God is now because the time is short. For unsaved, for believers, the time is short. The time is short for believers as they begin to be approached to and brought to the evaluation and manifestation seat. It's not a judgment seat. No, in 2 Corinthians 5.10. No. It's not. It's in a manifestation or evaluation. It's not about sins. Sins will not be brought up there. They're dealt with. Make that clear. There's no terror about sins. There will be for those that haven't had them dealt with in John 8, 21 and 24. And they will be brought up, which will be their works, will be brought up again at the great white throne judgment. And that's the difference between the saved at the Bema seat in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15 and the great white throne. And it's white, and it speaks of the manifested deep love and glory of Jesus Christ, manifested to those that rejected it. And that's where they'll be cast into the lake of fire. And it's eternal, by the way. Don't believe the lie of universalism, and don't believe the lie of the annihilation. Brought out in Revelations chapter 20, 11 to 15. It's, it's reality. 
God deals with us only in terms of reality and not lies. So as we begin to close this here, that God is now declaring in Acts 17 verse 30 to men that all everywhere should repent. Do an about face and receive Christ as their Savior. And then in areas of disobedience for Christians, known areas of disobedience, James 4 and verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Why do we not go further in our growth when we cry out to God and desires to have more of him? Because God won't go beyond a will that's fastened itself to sin. That's why. And then we just end up pretending in Romans 12 and verse 9. Pretending that God loves us. Well, he does, but we just don't experience it when we live in sin. And that's true for all of us, but he loves us. Because again, sin can't touch the position, our relationship in Christ. We're born into that family, can't become unborn. That's brought out in John 6, 37 and 39. In John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30. God doesn't change his mind like man does in Numbers 23 and verse 19. He doesn't lie or change his mind. He does not. He doesn't lie in Titus 1, 2 and Hebrews 6, 18. He does not lie. The enemy does. He does not. Ignorance. Times of ignorance. But when the light comes on, it's no longer ignorance. It's just known disobedience. This is for the unsaved. It can be for Christians too in their growth. Because God doesn't give us grace to live in sin. We need to get that one straight. God never gives us grace to live in sin. It's the only way we can get out of it. But he has to do it. That's why we need to be humbled. Again, in James 4, 6 through 10, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Well, now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day. Listen to this in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Through a man, capitalized, Jesus Christ. This is again, 1 Timothy 2, 5, Acts 4, 12. Based upon Isaiah 45 and verse 23 and Philippians 2, 9 through 11. The name that's above every single name. And things in heaven, things on the earth, and things under the earth will all have to bow. There will be multitudes that will be in hell. And there are multitudes. Did you know that when they hear the name of Jesus, those in hell, and ultimately the all that are in the lake of fire, when they have to, when they hear it, they have to bow in, in hatred, but they have to bow when they hear that name. They have to bow. Oh, if we only do it now. Only if I do it now in submission experientially, in all of us together, as his local expression, his local assembly where we are, where he has fixed us in time based upon the eternity and plan of God in each of us. Having furnace proof to all by raising him from the dead. Do we see that? There's proof. The resurrection proves, which is the enemy hates it. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15. Start in verse 18 and go right to the end of the chapter. And then watch how it goes into the 16th chapter so beautifully. Two things the resurrection teaches the believer. They're very sobering. One. One. 
Our sins are dealt with. The old man's crucified. Sins are dealt with. Psalm 103 and verse 12. They're not just overlooked. They're dealt with. They're dealt with. In Romans 6, 1 through 6, our old man is crucified and all our sins are dealt with. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is where we need to be looking upward and not earth. We need to be, our view has to be vertical, looking for Christ. We see that in Titus 2, 11 to 14. Vertical, not living on the earth horizontally with our so-called Christianity to make us comfortable and make a, give us a comfortable, convenient place in this world system. And then by how we live, teaching others that that's what they should do. It's not what we say that teaches any of us. It's how we conduct our lives in the character of who Christ has made us to be in 1 John 1 and verse 7. Having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead, it teaches us two things. We have life. Our sins are dealt with. All this crucified. But it teaches judgment is coming. That's why we have a more certain word of prophecy in Second Peter 1 and verse 19. It has nothing to do with our will. Don't buy the teaching that says Jesus did all this, now you must do this. The Bible never teaches that. That's the flesh under the legalism of the law and the, when, the, when it can't even do anything. You see that in Romans the seventh chapter. Read those first 24 verses. And what it leads to, a wretched man trying to do things based upon the law and the flesh. The end of it is, a oh, wretched man that I am. It's where Satan wants to lead multitudes of Christians. To convince them they're wretched. Because it all has to do with obedience and humility and grace. Let God do the choosing in our lives. Let God do the choosing in your life. Let him choose who he's given to give all of us the word. Of course it's all Christ. Of course every single bit of it is. It has everything to do with him. Yes, he has vessels, but that's what we are. Fragile clay jars, but we have this incredible treasure that Christ is in 2 Corinthians 4.7. Well, now it says in verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer meaning mocking God, not the messenger, the content of the message, the very nature of God expressed through his son. They mock God, and God won't be mocked. Don't worry about it. Preach the word. Listen, they're not mocking you. You're a vessel. They're mocking God. God will not be mocked in Galatians 6 and verse 7. Whatsoever a man's soul, that will he reap. And you see that in 6.8 of Galatians. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we will hear you again concerning this. Oh, I hope they do it quick. They might not have the time. Remember the man in, in the Gospel of Luke? He got rich. The riches of the world that pierce you through with many sorrows, again, because of love, the ineffectionate attachment Towards money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not evil any more than guns are. Evil people get them. That's 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. We will hear you again of this matter. All that rich man 
he got he got bigger he got barns and then he got more and then he said i'm going to tear this barn down and build a bigger one jesus said to him you fool and the fool is one who lives as a source of himself his own thinking which he thinks is his own thinking but it's just the lie of the enemy so i'm going to pull these down and build bigger ones tomorrow and he said you fool today your life is going to be required you're going to die and face me We will hear you again of this matter. So Paul went out of their midst. Right. God left left all kinds of content with them for them to make decisions, just like he's doing with us this morning. But some men joined him and believed. See, they didn't stay. Those that chose it went with him. They didn't go against him. They didn't blame him for things. We all fail. We all hurt each other. And I will tell you this, I know in my own life, I've done more damage and more hurt to myself than anyone ever did. Just we don't want to be responsible and accountable for God, and we want to have our private plans. And God in his love has a way of mix, mixing them up and shaking them in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. Shaking the things that we want to rely on in our lives that are not of him, which are foundational, and he's the foundation. Again, in 1 Corinthians 3. 11 and 12, 10, 11, and 12. He's the foundation, 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11, Matthew 16, and verse 18. And we need to be careful what we build on in Matthew chapter 7, and verses 24 to 27, not to build on sand. Thoughts that change and emotions up one second and down the next. Some, some that received joined him, you see. Oh, some accuses others. Oh, oh, you too. You too think you, or you, you, whoever you are, think you're something. Oh, this one submits to this one. And oh, well, that one can't function by themselves. And all of that is just mocking God so that Christians don't function in oneness and absolute humility and submission. Again, it's John the 17th chapter. Jesus Christ, high priestly prayer. In those 26 verses. Some joined him and believed, among whom also were, were Dionysius in the Areopagite and a woman called Damaris and others with him. Then I'm going to turn here as we begin to wrap this up this morning. And I wish I had time to read all of Ephesians, the second chapter. I'll try and read it quickly. <laughs> Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you, were dead, dead in. Notice, in your trespasses and sins. And God said, circle it, Ed, in your Bible. Circle, I'm going to teach you something. You were dead in. What's that? There's no way out. We must be brought out by Jesus Christ, out of those sins, to be brought into his loving relationship. This is not only positional, but this is experiential. This is what makes the yoke. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. We see it in Lamentations 3 and verse 27. We need those yokes. To yoke up to him and not the yoke of bondage and flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, read those first three verses there. You formerly walked according to the course of this world. We're headed to another world, not this world. Jesus was in it in John 17, verse 14. But he was never of it. Neither were we. 
what we watch, what we allow to go into our, into our minds through the eye gate, what we watch and just blow off. It's so easy to do. No, it's not the time for that, for any of us. No. Not according to this world, but according, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Think of the areas that we just blow off. We know it, but we do it anyway. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Go right back to it. You're not going forward, you're going back. The lust of the flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, all the others. But God. Contrasting conjunction. Contrast and separation. John the 17th chapter. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him positionally and seated and seated us with him. With is his love, his cross love in John 1, 1. As he put on humanity in 1 verse 14 in Luke 1 and verse 35. Having no sin nature, human nature in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. Us with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, the eternity of the eternities, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not again of yourselves. It is the gift of God, this dependence, so that no one may boast. Our boast in Psalm 44 and verse 8 is in the Lord. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. This, this is Reve Revelation 13, 8. This is Hebrews 4 and verse 3. Beforehand and in eternity, that we would walk in them in time. Therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, so-called separated into God, but not really, trying to use the law to eke out a fleshly goodness instead of receiving Christ as the only good. Exodus 34 and verse 6. Don't call man good. Don't call any man good. Matthew 19, 17, Luke 8, 18, verse 17 through 19. You don't call any man good. If they have good, it's the goodness of God in them through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, period. And so, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, for good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles were called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. This is again Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. Remember that you were at that, at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promises, of which we have far more than any Jew ever had and will have, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off, 
Notice, we read in Acts the 17th chapter. I noticed it. Multitudes, family members, loved ones, living far off from God, but he was so near them. As near as their next breath, that would just say, help! And reach out their hand and receive him. Why else would we be there? Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from all of this. You had no hope without God in the world. But now, contrast conjunction. In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, positionally, have been brought near by the very blood, the very sacrificial death of Jesus Christ with his blood poured out. For he himself is our peace, none other. You go into the world, try and get peace. When you listen to worldly music, think you can get peace. Nonsense. Stop it. Stop it. Cease to do evil. It's Isaiah 1 and verse 16. And read it through verse 18 and 19. For he himself is at peace who has made both in both Jew and Gentile into one and broke down the barrier, the separation, the dividing wall by abolishing in his humanity the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances that he, so that he and himself might make two in, into one, one man thus establishing peace. He's established our peace. Here it is, to flee from the rudiments the rudiments of the world. What is that? And that's what it says in the King James. It says these rudiments. So you either function in Christ as a believer or you function just like the world. You go back to the rudiments of the world. What are rudiments? Rudiment. A noun. You know what a noun does, right? What, 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 what is it in the English language that is used to bring out the reality of a noun? It's a verb. It expresses action. Rudiment is from the Latin rudimentum. And if it's connected with er, rudio, and we'll get into that at a different time. We don't have the time right now. It denotes what is taught. What we were taught through the lies of the enemy for years. But the real origin is not obvious. You see the lie? Not obvious. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. The enemy was very subtle. 2 Corinthians 11, 3. Very subtle, deceived her. Why? Because it wasn't obvious to her. It was to Adam. That's why he transgressed. Today, Christian men, knowing to do good, but submitting to their wives, calling it love. But the real origin is not obvious. And if it's not obvious, it's not known clearly, or it's clearly known and blown off and done away with. Number one, a first principle. What is a rudiment? It's a first principle. What we were born in. Psalm 58, 3, Psalm 51, and verse 5. Principle or element, that which is first learnt in our old nature as the rudiments of learning or science. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 20. The opposing, he said, Timothy, Timothy, there are opposing arguments is what, in, in what is falsely called science. And science is some form of knowledge. Knowledge. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoiding worldly and empty chatter. Oh, my God. Being with loved ones. And looking. And listening. Without judgment. Without accusation. Without comparison. 
but in total humility, with love flowing through grace, hearing what? Hearing what? Even in Christians, instead of going forward, what? And it may have been a great work that God did, but listen, you avoiding worldly and empty chatter, instead of having kinonia, that depth of fellowship, there are articulate sounds. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. They are articulate, articulate sounds. That's a rudiment. And are the rudiments the beginnings of language? You see this in Genesis 4, 16 to 24. Cain went out from the presence of God. He built a city and named it after his son, Enosh or Enoch. And you see it. Money, cattle, money, his sons. They represent money and entertainment through his two sons. Three sons, but two where one had money and the other is entertainment. Yep, that's the lie. Living in the world, rudiments. Rudiments. Rudiments there. They are letters or characters are the rudiments of written language. Written language. <laughs> Let me tell you, we'll get into it in a different time, but this is, this is the chip that's going to be placed. And Revelations 13, 13 to 15, it's going to be placed in individuals during the tribulation period. They don't have to think. This thing will do their thinking for them. It'll bypass proper thinking. Yes, sir. Written language, 666. Versus the word of God, Jesus Christ. The primary rules being ruled either by Christ or what we first learnt in, fall, in the fallen nature of Satan's lie. We see that's why we have guides in Hebrews 13, 7. That's why we have guides in Hebrews 13, 17. That's why we have them in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 16. They are primary rules of any art or science are its rudiments. Hence, instruction. Read the book of Proverbs. It's all about the instruction of wisdom, God's love. And out of it comes tremendous wisdom. Picture of Jesus Christ, his power, and his wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. Hence, instruction we see in the rudiments or foundations, what we build on, of any art or science constitute the beginning of education in that particular art or science. It's a rudiment. Again, you see this, the beginning, you see this in Genesis 3, 1 to 24. That goes right into Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 24. This education in that art or science, rudiment, a verb that's transitive. We'll get into these different things at a different time. To furnish with first principles. A first principle. God's nature, character, and essence. First principles. To ground, to establish, to fix, to settle in first principles. First principles, they have to do with God, His Word, that relationship in John 1, 1 and 2. That created everything that, had a, that was created in John 1 and verse 3, based upon Colossians 1 and verse 16. That, we, that he would be the light to every single man in 1-4.
God has given us so much. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. And Father, we thank you. We thank you. We have our preeminent head in Colossians 1.18 and 2.19, Christ, our preeminent head, where our eyes should always be located, fixed, so that we function in our proper place, that he's the treasure. And we need to have a single eye in Matthew 6.22. Thank you, Lord. The single eye of how you see us in Job 36 and verse 7. God single, one eye only, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you for this truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.